I just hope our hearts can echo um, what we just sang about. He welcomes the, the vilest of sinners. He, he gives us so much mercy. I just, that song, every time we sing that, I feel like that's just like jumps out and speaks straight to the heart. And uh, just singing about God's word and how it echoes through all eternity. Again, I just think these things are, um, I, I love those songs. And so we're going to read um, a lengthy portion of scripture. If you're familiar with John 11, uh, most of it's one narrative of an event taking place. And that event and that uh, narrative is about the story of Lazarus. Um, and if you're familiar with that passage, you might be very familiar with all what we're going to read today. Um, but I want to read the entire thing for, the, for, the, for clarity, uh, for seeing the whole picture. And so stay in your seat. Don't feel like you have to stand. Uh, but we're going to be in John 11. We're going to read the first 44 verses before we get started. So uh, follow along with me, if you will. John 11, 1 says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment wiped, uh, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent, him unto, uh, sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but, that the glory, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea today, or again. His disciples said unto her, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? And Jesus answered and said, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If a man walk in the day, he stumbles not, because he sees not the light of the world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. These things he said he. And after that he said to them, our, Lazar- our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death. And they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes I was not there to the intent that you may believe Nevertheless, let's go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Verse 17 says, Then there Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave for four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus said to her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. But Jesus responded, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said to him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master has come, and he calls for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then went, which were with her in the house, and comforted her. When they saw Mary, she rose up hastily and went out and followed her, saying, She goes to the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, 
And the Jews also weeping, which came with her. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave and a stone laid upon it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was that was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Said I not unto thee, that thou, if thou believest, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from that place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee, thou hast heard me. And I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, Come forth. And he, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound, face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Let's pray again this morning. God in heaven, we pray that you'd bless your word. You'd speak through your word. God, that nothing said today would be anything of, uh, of just mine, but of your word. That you would speak through it. God, I just pray today as we come to your word again and, and, and read and see what you have for us that you would open our eyes, open our hearts. As Matthew says, him that has ears, let him hear. And let us be conformed even more to your image today because of our obedience to your word and our obedience to the Spirit of God and knowing you greater. God, we just pray again that you give us a time where we would learn and grow and be challenged today from your word. And we ask these things today in your name. Amen. As I read this passage on Friday, all I could think of was the glory of God in every circumstance. Has anybody in here ever had plans to do something and they did not come true? A few people. Okay, good. I'm glad I resonate with a few of you. Uh, Maybe you planned a trip and a flight gets canceled. Or maybe you planned a trip and um, you just were late. You were late to your destination. Recently I read um, during Southwest, um, they had struggles with some flights recently, and um, a lady missed her own wedding day, and I was like, that's, that's, a, bad, that's a bad day. Um, and so we have things that we plan that don't always come to be, or maybe you plan to get together, and we're in Vermont, so a snowstorm hits, and so you don't go, right? Your plans get canceled. Or maybe, a little bit deeper than that, maybe a loved one dies of yours, and maybe they're even at the age where nobody even thinks of death as the reality as a young person goes um, into eternity. Or maybe it's a picture of what you envisioned your family to look like after you got married, and then you face something like infertility or a loss of a child. Or maybe your, pet, your kids grow up and they go wayward and you face that struggle. Did you know that in everything, God is working everything according to his plan and for his glory? In everything. Not, not just the good, but also he uses the, the hard situations, the, the not-so-good situations. Big and small circumstances don't have the ability to limit God working for his glory out of any given situation. God is always working according to his purpose and his plans. And though not every season of life that we, that we go through is chosen or desired or wanted, we realize that God is working, and we must realize he is in control And that nothing is out of control, but it's in his very control, no matter what that might look like in your situation. And so today's passage, we see the story of Lazarus. We see that he dies, and he he stinketh, right? Did you love the King James? He stinks, okay? And we're going to see these things that play out. So we see a tough situation. 
We see some negative comments, some very sad, grief-filled comments, some, a sad tragedy. But we see a realization of who Christ is. And ultimately, at the very end, we see Christ glorified in the entire picture. The death of Lazarus teaches us many things. One of the things it teaches us is we have faith in a very big God, a very big God. He does so many things. We learn from this passage that Jesus does everything for the glory of God and according to God's plan, all for the glory of God. As we read through this today, we're going to understand that we were created, and understand again that we were created for the very purpose to bring glory to God. There's one reason we were made, to bring glory to God, no matter what we face in this world. And so I want to echo those things through the, the, the scriptures this morning. And look at our big idea as we, before we jump into point number one. Our big idea is kind of our, bouncing, our launching point. It says, though life will send many trying circumstances that will test our faith, we'll see today that God is always in control of all things, again, bringing about his glory. I want to jump right in because there's 44 verses to cover, and um, Dan might not be here in flesh, but he might be here in spirit through the long preaching today. I don't know. Uh, But I just want to put that out there. We have 44 verses, so let's look at number one, the tragedy that took place in John chapter 11. So as the story unfolds, we see the first couple verses that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had been close to Jesus. They knew Jesus, they had been familiar with him, and they had been around him. We learn this is Mary and Martha, the very uh, Mary that in chapter 12, and also in Luke 10, there's a parallel in that gospel, uh, where Mary, literally, why Martha is serving food to the, to the guests, and she's running around doing all these things. Mary is sitting at the very feet of Jesus, and she is listening to his words. He is, she is soaking in who Jesus is while serving, her, serving him as she washes his feet with her hair. It's a very unique passage, but we learn a lot from it. We see that Lazarus and Jesus had a a tight-knit relationship. So this just wasn't just anybody. And we know Jesus loves and, and loves all the world, but he had a very familiar relationship with Lazarus in today's text. We understand that. And so the scene is setting up, and Mary comes, or they come to, uh, had somebody sent to Jesus to tell him, hey, the one you love, Lazarus, he is sick. And this isn't just like a, a common cold. This is like he is dying. He's not going to be with us much longer. There's some urgency here that this is not just a common sickness. And then Jesus responds. Now, I want verse number four. If you haven't read this verse before, it's an incredible verse. Verse number four is really where everything in this passage, in every 44 verses, the verse number four is kind of the key to the entire passage. It holds everything together. It sets us up for uh, 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 what might be tragedy at the beginning to a triumph at the end. And verse four says this. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jesus says, even though he is dying, you're seeing him dying. This isn't why he's dying, if you will. This isn't why he's sick. It's not for death, but it's for God's very glory to be displayed. And so we must understand that everything in life, good, uh, good, bad, big and small, everything God is working according to his plan for his glory alone. Now, I don't want to put people off this morning because I want to be sensitive also that there are people in this room, and you might be one of them, that have faced some really hard, hard things. Uh, things that I have never faced, things that I pray I never face. Uh, tragedies, heartache, loss, and struggles. And I don't want to say or be dismissive of those things at all by any means, but I want to be sensitive to that but understand and help us understand that even in those hard seasons, even in those unpredictable moments, that God is bringing about his glory for his very name. 
That even, even though you're going through a hard time, even though you're facing something that's unthinkable and you never would have planned for your life, that even in those things, God is working according to his plan. That's not a surprise to God, but he is working through those very things. It's an unshakable truth that even in tragedy, that God brings about his glory. Even in hard times, he magnifies his name. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? Even one of the hardest things for our minds to grasp is tragedy and why God would allow and God would do. But I think a lot of times we associate God only with good things. But if we understand God is sovereign over all things, he uses loss and tragedy, bad things, sad things, for his very glory as a sovereign God of the universe. And so don't let that burden you, that you're facing something, that you've seen someone go through something extremely hard. But rejoice in the fact that God has all power and all authority over everything. And he's never surprised by anything that he works through his word. I don't want us to miss that today. Verse 5 and 6, we're going to get back in the narrative a little bit here. It's a weird section of verses. If someone comes to you and says, hey, you have a loved one and they're dying, they're sick, your reaction typically is, I got to get there. I got to get there fast. And Jesus, the one who has performed miracles already up to this point, Jesus doesn't say, let me get there. It says, Scripture tells us in verse 5, that Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. He didn't rush off. He didn't go. Our reaction would be like, I got to get there. I got to be there. We want to be there for those things. But Jesus does not do that. He stays in town for two more days. Stays in town for two more days. You may have heard the story of Jairus in the New Testament as well. It's a miracle that Jesus performed. He healed his daughter. Jairus came to Jesus one time and uh, came running to him and traveled to see him. And he goes, Jesus, my daughter is dying or has died and says, I, I, we need you to do something about it. And Jesus performed what we call a long-distance miracle. Uh, he didn't put his hands on her. He didn't speak to her. He just healed her. And so many would think, okay, God's, uh, Jesus is a little ways away. Why don't he just pray that she be healed? But that didn't happen either. But Jesus stayed there two more days. I could just imagine being Mary and Martha, being close to Jesus, wondering, where is Jesus in this thing? But I, I like to point our minds to Isaiah chapter 55, 8 and 9 here, where Isaiah says, For my thoughts, God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What we might perceive to be the best course of action isn't always the, the course Jesus takes. Because he's acting as the divine, as God. And he knows all things. And he knows what is going on and is not surprised. To add some more complications to this mix, we're going to see that they're going to go, verse 7 through 10, they're going to travel to go to Lazarus. But there's a little bit of a complicated situation because Jesus is a wanted man. And I don't mean by desired or for dinner. I mean to stone him. They want him killed. Jesus is not uh, welcomed in Judea. And he has already uh, performed miracles on days that they didn't like. He's already uh, claimed to be God in the flesh, which they also didn't like. And so G Jesus was not like a, the hero for those people. He was more of the villain. And so we see that Jesus, that's a little bit of complication because they got to travel. Jesus says something interesting to the disciples here. He says, are there not 12 hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not because he sees not the light of the world. But if a man walks in the night, he stumbles because there's no light in him. Jesus is saying, we've got a certain amount of time, and we've got to get there. It doesn't really matter. Like, we have enough time for everything that needs to be done, and nothing can be wasted. We're just going to go and get there. Verse 11 through 16, we see Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he tells us that Lazarus sleeps, and they took that as a literal sleep, and Jesus was speaking to a death, that Lazarus has already died. Jesus, God in the flesh, the Son of God, already knew Lazarus was dead. 
No messenger, but he is God in flesh. He understands this. And Jesus says another really weird phrase to us in verse number 15. He says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Another strange phrase for us to grasp our minds around. Because in our world, when somebody's dying, you're like, I want to be there for the last minutes, the last breath. I want to be there to experience that. And if Jesus put, if there was a period here instead of a comma, we'd be a little alarmed. But he says this, to the intent that you might believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. Jesus says, I'm glad I was not, we're not there because I'm, gonna, I'm setting something up so much greater than, so much more glorious than you can understand. And he wants them to understand through belief, through faith, and who he is. And so we see that they're going to travel to be with Lazarus. One of the disciples, Thomas here, um, makes an interesting phrase. He says, let's go die with him. And I think that's speaking to the idea that they wanted to stone Jesus. So they, they're like, wait, this might be our last trip. So let's go ahead and let's jump right in. Uh, Thomas was eager. He was excited. And um, he was ready to be there regardless of what was going on. And so we see Jesus and them head down to be with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And what was interesting is Bethany, this town, was only two miles away. I did some looking up, 15 furlongs. I'm sure you don't use that, that measurement when you tell people where you live, how far you are from them. Uh, that's about two miles, 1.8 something uh, miles is how far that was. So it's not a great distance. Uh, it's a pretty easy walk. Um, but that's how far Jesus was. So he gets there, and we learn that Lazarus has been dead for four days already. He didn't just die. He's not barely dead. He's fully dead. He's, he's been dead for a while. He's been buried. He's no longer uh, leave him laying around. They have put him in a grave. And so we see that Jesus arrives, and it says, to comfort them concerning their brother. One thing I want to understand, I mentioned Jesus didn't go there right away, is that Jesus is never late, nor is, or he's never in a rush, nor is he ever late, because he's working all things according to the plans of the Father. He is never late, and he's never in a rush. He does things all on time. So we see they rush, they get, or they get there to Mary and Martha. They come up to them to comfort them. And the tragedy has taken place. Their friend, their friend Martha, or Lazarus has passed away. So there's much sadness, there's much grief. But we see that the ultimate comforter, Jesus, is now present with them. Look at our second point this morning. Our second point is the testing that took place. Uh, you're going to notice, I don't ever do this, but I alliterated the points today. So I don't know what got in me, but we just went with it. Um, so the testing that took place, looking at verse 20 through 38. So we see that Jesus is now there. And he went and met, they went and met him. Martha did in verse number 20 as you read that there. But it says, Mary sat still in the house. That might not alarm you or, or mean anything to you, but I find it interesting. Because this is the same Mary in chapter 12 that is consumed with Jesus. His presence, when he's there, she's consumed with him. She's at his feet. She's serving Jesus. She's listening to Jesus. While Martha's running around doing all the errands and cooking and stuff, she's like, no, I'm going to be here with Jesus. This same Mary, when Jesus came, sat still in the house. She was mourning the death of her brother, which is understandable. But we see that she understands in the next chapter who is truly in the house, the miracle worker, the Savior, Jesus Christ. We see that in this, in this dialogue, Martha begins to speak to Jesus, and she says this very heartfelt phrase, if you would have been here, our brother would not be dead. If you would have been here, he would not have died. But it follows up that statement with, God gives according 
as we ask in faith. She's hinting at, she knows the response to what Jesus probably is going to tell her. And Jesus tells her, but your brother's going to rise again. Again, Martha going back and forth with Jesus. She understands that the last day when, when Christ returns that he'll be resurrected. But Jesus reminds her again, I am the resurrection, verse 25, and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I find that to be uh, a challenging statement. He's challenging her faith here. But what she says next blew my socks off the other night. I was reading this. She says, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Let me just say, if you're a Christian in here, this is something you can echo with confidence, that Christ is the Son of God. I believe that you are Christ, the Son of God. She addresses him as Lord, as Master, as Savior of her life. And that's the correct answer to why would God save you? I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. I have faith in the Christ, the Son of God, as Lord. I believe. And Martha echoes that to Jesus, that she truly understands who he is, and she has faith in this Jesus. And what I find interesting is this is a horrible situation. Your brother dies. I haven't faced that. Brothers are pretty young. But I'd imagine one day there's going to be a lot of grief with that. And so she's faced, they're facing a lot of grief, but guess what? She has confidence that her hope is not in, in, in their life on earth, but in a life after we're born and raised with Christ. That she has a saving faith, that she has a hope in Christ, because he's not just a good person, a good teacher, a good human, but he is the Son of God, the third or the second person of the Trinity, not just somebody. She is, he is God. After this dialogue, we see kind of fades out of the picture, and Jesus calls for Mary. And Mary repeats the exact same phrase Martha said, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Again, a hard, hard uh, statement, but one filled with grief and pain, one that's understandable in a situation, one that we would resonate with when we would say something like this, God, why? Why would you allow this? Or couldn't you just have... Something else? Could have done something else? Could have did something else in the situation here? These aren't wrong or bad questions. They're just reactions to the situation they're in. It's not wrong for us to ask God why. We, we can talk to him. We commune with him through prayer. But they were struggling with what was going on. But it was interesting. Jesus also was sad. It says he groaned in spirit. It says uh, that he, uh, was, he wept in verse 35 because Jesus was fully God and fully man. He had emotions. Jesus wasn't emotionless going through the earth. Uh, he was f- full of emotion, just like any human being. Very controlled, though, because he was fully man. He saw the weeping of Mary and Martha and the Jewish friends of Lazarus, and he wept with them. Then he asked them an interesting question. Where have you buried him? Where have you buried him? And they go to the graveside. And many could tell from this account, and it's echoed multiple times, that Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Lazarus. They were close. They weren't strangers to each other. They were well-affiliated. And so Jesus shares his emotion with us here. And then one thing I find interesting as we're reading through the dialogue here, that in verse uh, number 37, um, there's always a, f- a few guys around, you know. Could not this man, open the eyes of the blind, 
have caused that even this man should not have died? It's like everybody's probably, some people are probably thinking this, but somebody was bold enough to say it. I'd imagine the wife's elbow hit him in the rib cage after he said that. I don't know. Like, that just doesn't make sense, but I, it does make sense at the same time. This guy has performed miracles. He has done all of these amazing, triumphant, supernatural things. Why didn't he just save him from his death? Again, back to the beginning, the glory of God in every circumstance. God was setting up the outcome to, be glorify, to, to glorify himself through a tragic and hard situation. Jesus, again, and yet it says it again, he was groaning. I was doing some research on this word, this word in the Greek. This groaning is like a horse snorting. It's like a frustration. And as I was reading, into the, reading it and understanding it, it's implying that Jesus was frustrated, he was troubled, he was angry because of the destruction and the power of the great enemy of humanity, which is death. But one day, one day soon, he would break that dominating power of death on that cross. So we see through these, through these 18 verses that this was a time of testing. They faced many things. Grief, sadness, confusion, questioning Jesus, under, trying to figure out what was going on. But through it all, we understand Martha understood who Jesus was. Martha understood that this is the Son of God who brings about resurrection. So as they were tested during this time, they truly knew who Jesus was. He was exposing who he was all throughout this passage. And as we move on, I want to look at our third point today and, and conclude and look through this, this dialogue here. We see that Jesus makes a statement, take away the stone. Take away the stone. He's heading to the, the graveside. He's heading to the, the burial. I just, I just think about this, this statement. I was thinking about this this morning. As Jesus is telling them to take away the stone, and just a f- if you flip your Bible over just a few pages, you see another stone being rolled away, another stone being moved. I can only just think that Jesus knows what's coming as Jesus is asking them to roll the stone away, that just in a little bit later, another stone's going to be rolled away, and Christ is going to be rising from the dead, and Christ is going to be coming forth from the grave. Just an amazing thought. I just was blown away by it this morning as I was reading that, that he probably was seeing this take place. He was kind of saying, like, this is coming. This is coming for me as he's about to perform a great miracle for Lazarus. John, again, like I said before, he helps us understand that Lazarus was very much dead. He was in the grave four days, and it just plain stinks. <laughs> it makes that clear. He makes that clear. Jesus says, but didn't I tell you, though, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. He keeps going back to this. But didn't I tell you, didn't I tell you, if you believe, you can see the glory of God. So what we see next is interesting. Jesus prays to the Father. I'm going to read this prayer real quick, starting in verse number 41. It says, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus prays to God. So they would see the full glory of God on display here in just a second. And after he prayed, verse 43, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Many probably standing around going, waiting for something to happen. I'd imagine there's some anticipation. If this happened today, I'm sure we would be blown out of our mind and kind of like, what is going on? Lazarus came out, says in verse 43. Or 44, he, the dead which had died, had come forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. What an amazing story. We see Lazarus coming back to life. We see him resurrected from the dead. This wasn't like he almost died or he was really sick, but he had died. He had begun to stink. He had begun to rot away. And yet God 
the God-man, Christ, comes and sets him free. Now, if we just stop there, we say, what a cool story. What a cool story. But if you read Scripture as a whole, this is not just about Lazarus. If you are a Christian here today and you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, this is about you. You were dead in your sin, Ephesians 2 says. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That means that Jesus has called you out. He has called you out of deadness, out of the grave, out of, out of the coldness, out of the deadness of yourself, and has called you out to faith. And not only that, he calls you out in salvation, but your hands and your feet, you're bound. You're shackled to sin. You're covered and you're, and you're stuck in your sin. You can't get free from it apart from God. But Christ says, unbind him, loose him, let him go. And so when Christ saves us, he calls us out of our deadness. We're no longer dead. He opens our eyes. He awakes our spirit. We're no longer dead in our sins. And he makes us alive in Christ. And not only that, but after he does that, he's also freeing us from the very power of the very sin, those dead, those death, those grave clothes that are holding on to him no longer have power and control over him being tied up. But he is free. He has let go. Christ says the truth, I will set you free. I'm going to set you free through salvation. That we are free in Christ, truly made alive, completely different than the deadness that we started in. So God's displaying his glory in Lazarus' life, but he's showing us the glory he presents through salvation in our life. This is not a story of just a cool story about a guy being born, of being raised from the dead. It, that is a, it is a cool story about that too. But it's also a picture of what Christ does in us. Because if you're a Christian and here today, you didn't die spiritually after Adam and make yourself come back to life. That didn't happen. But Christ drew you in by spirit, awoken yourself, raised you up, lifted you up, gave you life in your dead spirit, stuck in your sin. And he raises us to life with him. There's a reason why we can't boast or take one ounce of credit for our salvation. because God saved us completely and thoroughly. There's not one thing you can do to, to save yourself. There's not good works you can do. There's not the right family to be born into. There's nothing that you can do apart from Christ calling you out of your deadness to come to life. And that's why when we, we struggle, we, we, we have this, uh, this battle in our minds. We have a conversation with somebody and we're presenting the gospel, and we're presenting the good news, and they turn away. And it's like, what did I miss? Did I forget, did I forget something? Like, this is amazing. Don't you see? Because God has not shown them yet, maybe. He's using you, has not shown them, has not opened their eyes, has not raised them up to come forth and see what is going on. And not only that, he doesn't just save him, but he says he looses him. He unbinds him. He lets him go. He has given him life. And that is what salvation is. If you're saved here today, that's what happened to you. That's what happened to you spiritually. And if anyone ever comes to Christ, that has to happen to them spiritually. God has to call you out of your deadness, has to raise you up, has to unbind you from sin, unshackle you from it, get free from it. And then he frees us into a new life hidden in Christ, in God. And so as we see this take place, we see that God is working all things out according to his glory and his good. What starts in a tragedy ends in a triumph, a celebration. Death has been made alive, bound has been loosed. Many go on, we see, to believe in Jesus, the Son of God here. And so at the beginning of the passage, we started with sickness and sadness and death. 
And the story ends completely different because where Jesus leaves footprints, he leaves that place different. He changed everything about Lazarus' life. He changed everything about Mary and Martha's life. They had seen God in action displaying his glory. And this Martha that claimed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, that is the faith in which we have, the faith in which we put in Christ. It leads to another chapter next, chapter 12. I've alluded to it already, where they're sitting around eating with Lazarus. Kind of a weird thing. Like, this dude was just dead. Now we're having dinner. Like, a little bit weird. Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. But okay, whatever. Um, Lazarus is eating dinner with them. They're serving Christ. Their perspective's probably changed a little bit, right? They've seen the glory of God displayed before them. Not just in salvation, but in resurrection. Not just in uh, seeing a cool thing take place, but seeing a supernatural thing take place. Nothing that they could have done in their own self. So we see the story. And we see the beginning, we see the middle, we see the end. But we don't see that in our lives. We don't know what the beginning, we don't know what the middle, and we don't know what the end is. So I challenge you, what if I told you that God permits everything, orchestrates events in your lives, so his glory and power could be revealed? That's what he does. That's what scripture teaches us. That even if you're facing something And like I said before, I'm with you. I want to help you bear these burdens because I don't envy certain situations that people are going through. It's hard. Life is hard. People go through insane things. The loss of children, the loss of loved ones, man, that's that's brutal. Death has an impact on people. And we want to help carry those burdens. What if God is putting you through or allowing something to happen in your life so he gets the greatest glory out of the outcome? That's what God is teaching us here. They didn't want Lazarus to die. They were like, hey, come on. He, you're like two miles away. <laughs> Make the trip. Come on. Like, he, that's not what happened, right? He waited. He let him die. The grief set in. But Christ displayed his glory. He magnified his own name. And what I think is interesting is the joy of his resurrection was far greater than the sadness of Lazarus' death. Far greater. And many of the unbelieving left believing that Jesus is the Son of God. They saw what took place. And what I think is interesting is that later, many, including Mary and Martha, would sit below a cross. They would stand below a cross, weeping the brutal death of Jesus. But greater was their rejoicing when he rose triumphantly from dead, the death and sin. So much greater was that rejoicing than anything that could have ever taken place. Paul writes in the New Testament, says, uh, the things that we're, um, this is paraphrasing, of course, the things that we're facing now have no weight to the glory that we're going to experience one day. And that doesn't dismiss what we're going through now. We're allowed to grieve. We're allowed to have emotions. We're allowed to face hard things. And we're allowed to vent those things and talk to God about those things and get comfort from the ultimate comforter. But I want you to understand that greater is the rejoicing in the glory of God than through the pain of the event or the tragedy or whatever you might be facing. I've been, um, I, I don't know about you, but I always find songs, and I listen to them like 40,000 times before I change the song. Anybody like that? You find a good song, you're like, this is going to be it for like the next month. That's it. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I'm paying for this, this, this streaming service to listen to one song. Um, but anyway, uh, that's just me. And one of those songs has lyrics that go like this. It's called, the song's called The Christ, The King. It says, and if I put my trust in anyone, it's Jesus. If I put my hope in anything, it's you. If I'm going to follow anyone, it's Jesus. And I'm sure of anything, it's always you. 
that song has been ringing on my mind. And when I was studying for this, it just came to me. That this is God calling us to himself. Calling us to experience and see his glory in very unprecedented, very unpredictable circumstances. And yet his glory is displayed even in those things. I oftentimes have a hard time wrapping my mind around tragedy, right? We all do, I think. We see something happen, and we go, man, like, why? Like, why, why has that happened? We have a hard time wrapping our mind around those things, and I think that's normal because we're human. We're not God. We don't have his thoughts. We don't have his ways. But in the grand scheme of things, as we read through his word, we understand that God is in control of all things, and he's always working about his ultimate glory, his ultimate purposes. And if we can respond like Martha, I believe, Lord, you are the Christ, the Son of God, and you I have hope. And you I trust. If I'm sure of anything, it's always you. As we think about the glory of God in every circumstance, matter good, bad, big or small, like I've said already, God's glory is always his number one concern. God's always bringing about his glory. We have a poster we have hanging downstairs in the, in the kids' room, um, the kids' and teen room, and it says, What is the chief end of man? It says to enjoy, uh, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's from the uh, a catechism, um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. That's where that's from. But that's what God is ringing out of his word. And we see that God is not limited in what he can do and how he can do it. The story of Lazarus is really a story about Jesus, about his power and salvation, raising you and I from the dead and taking situations that we would not dare want to put ourselves and use that very situation to exalt his name, and to bring him glory. All of his doing, none of ours. If, we could, if he allowed us to fix our situations, we would try. <laughs> we, would, we, would, we would go that route. But God puts us through this, these things, whether it's tragedy, whether it's testing, whether it's the triumphant end. God is working all things according to his ultimate plan and his glory. And our spiritual resurrection can only happen in Christ. And his glory on display is his work through salvation. He shows us who he is through his word. So whatever you're going through today, understand that God is working through it. God is not surprised by it. I once heard a pastor preaching and said, God doesn't wake up and grab the newspaper and find out who's died recently and go, oh man, not that guy. You know, like that's not what happens. That's not what happens at all. God, God is in complete control of everything. He, doesn't, he knows how many hairs are in your head or how many hairs are not on your head, uh, however you want to look at that. Um, he, he knows those things. He cares, he cares about the, the lilies and he cares about the sparrows so much more as he cares about us. And so as we understand what we're going through, as we see what we're going through, and we might not understand it, know that God is working all things to his glory and his purposes. So Christian, we can have hope. Think about Psalm 97.1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof, because the Lord reigns. Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. God is working all things according to his ultimate plan and purpose. And we can have hope in that. doesn't mean you can't have tears. doesn't mean you can't grieve. It doesn't mean those things. But it means you have hope ultimately in those trials, in those things. And if you're an unbeliever in here today, just specifically talking to you, we have to come to this realization that through Christ, and only God can, only God can bring you this realization, but I'm presenting it before you today, that what Lazarus needed in a spiritual sense to make you alive is exactly what you need. You can't come to church enough times. You can't give enough money. You can't um, be a good enough person. You, you can't even just follow the Ten Commandments. That, that won't get you to heaven. But instead, you have to 
understand who Christ is by him making you alive, by understanding his word, understanding his salvation, that it's by, great, by faith alone through grace alone, and that our response from our heart and from our lips can be Jesus is Lord and Savior of our life, that we believe he is Christ, the Son of God. And this is what he does for all of us that are saved in the room. It's not of our works, not of our works that we can boast about what, he has done, about what we have done, but about what he has done through us. So I want to challenge us today. Christians have hope in the glory of God in every circumstance. That no matter what we face this week, this year, this decade, whatever that looks like, understand that God is ruling and reigning, and he is using those things to bring about his glory. And though we cannot see step one through ten and understand everything, every piece of the puzzle, God is all over that puzzle. And he is putting everything in the right spots, and he is not making mistakes, but he's doing everything according to his divine will and plan. And unbeliever, if you don't know Christ, come to this Christ, the Son of God, the one who raises us out of our deadness and brings us to himself. Ephesians 1 says he gives us he brings us all the, all, the, all the gifts of the heavenly realm. He gives us all the blessings that we could ever experience, ever want and desire in the next life in him. Let's pray together.